0: Glad that you're here today. Uh, I'm going to open this up with prayer in just a minute, but um, today, it's going to be a a little bit different today, Um, almost like a little bit of a family meeting. Um, We're going to be, this is a sermon, uh, but as part of the sermon, we're going to be talking about um, some bylaw changes, uh, really exciting stuff. Uh, (laughs) Some uh, bylaw changes that we are hoping to make, and I do want to kind of make it clear Uh, that this is something our leadership team uh, has been talking about for a couple of years. Um, We actually started this conversation in uh, February of 2020. Uh, And uh, in March of 2020, the conversation changed forthwith uh, and uh, we uh, got focused on pandemic response and uh, came back to it um, and have been talking about it in the neighborhood somewhere between a year and two years again. Um, And every church has a culture, and we have a culture too. And part of what this change is going to be is uh, just uh, trying to have our legal documents, which bylaws are. Our legal documents might match our culture is part of what this is. But one of the things I do want to make it clear is we're preaching about this in August. uh, And the vote on the bylaw change, uh, our bylaws require a congregational vote, will be in November. Uh, and so we wanted to offer plenty of time for feedback, plenty of time for conversation, plenty of time for questions, uh, because, uh, this is our decision, right? This isn't a leadership team's decision. It's not my decision. This is a congregational decision, whether or not what I'm going to share with you this morning makes sense and is the path forward. And so we wanted to allow plenty of time to have that conversation. So that'll be the third sunday in november in the very short term um, we're going to be doing two weeks in particular on this and then one week on eldership in this little believing and belonging series that we're doing and if you end up having questions about membership and the the impact that some of these changes will have on how we do things um, we are going to have two town hall kind of venues available to you in the very short term when is this wednesday in this room at 6 30 Um, I and a couple of our elders will be here uh, to just, you can come come on in at 630 and we would love to answer any questions that you have after this sermon. And then the next town hall opportunity will be next Sunday, kind of after church. And uh, so after church, if you want to hang around, that'll be then the second message um, that will have to do with our believing, uh, our believing kind of document as a church that I'm going to, that I'm going to kind of allude to today. Today, we're talking more about belonging. And then next week we're going to talk about believing. And if any of that prompts any questions, that'll probably be a little more convenient. You can just stay after church. Um, we'll be in the overflow and we would love to meet with you, talk with you. And then my intention uh, moving toward November is to meet with our Sunday schools and our small groups and just try to get into a little more even of smaller settings uh, to be able to say, you know, what are your questions? Uh, what are your concerns? What, what, what can I answer for you? Um, I, I know that some of you well, we'll hear what I'm going to say today, and you're like, duh, type of thing, right? It, it's just not going to matter to you. And that's any time you're kind of going about a bylaw change like that, a certain number of people are just going to ha- kind of have that reaction. Some of you are going to say, well, I do have some questions. So there are opportunities uh, for you to ask those. Uh, there'll be lots of opportunities for you to ask those between now and November. Um, uh, also, I'm going to, for those of you that are familiar with my preaching, Uh, I'm going to be a little more kind of tied to my notes today uh, than I normally would be because I'm representing kind of the thought process of about a dozen people. And I want to make sure that uh, I stay true to that. So um, just so you can kind of know what happened, I finished this sermon. And about 10, 11, 12 days ago, I emailed it to our leadership team. I said, please read the manuscript and let me know. Kind of, I, I want to make sure this represents our thinking in the room, um, and uh, I, I got affirmations on that. So I, I wouldn't want to stray from that document, I guess uh, is my point. So how's that for a setup for a sermon, all right? All right. So let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll, we'll get into it today, all right? Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for Jesus, and I especially thank you uh, for the DNA of our church uh, that has, we have a desire uh, to be this place where everyone can belong, and uh, our mission statement says it well, that we want to be a growing family that is journeying together to be more like you. And so help us to do that, Jesus. Uh, it is in his name that we pray. Amen. According uh, to psychology today... There are four basic traits that a person can have that make relationships a little bit challenging and a little bit difficult. All right? So there's kind of four basic traits. If you've ever met a difficult person, they probably have one of these traits. Right, um, Downers, known as negative Nancys, Debbie Downers, they always have something bad to say. Uh, they complain, they critique, they judge. They're almost impossible to please. There's know-it-alls, or sometimes called one-uppers or show-offs. They're trying to impress you. Name droppers which fit into this category. Uh, uh, they, they compare a lot. Uh, pushovers, sometimes known as yes men, weaklings, right? They don't contribute much to a conversation or to the people around them. They kind of allow them to carry the water and, and do the hard work. And then there's explosives. Some of you maybe have worked for an explosive. Um, they will do kind of any power play or any kind of angry technique uh, to get what, what they want. And some of you may be sitting here kind of today going, well, I don't know anybody like any of those people. And I have really unfortunate news for you. Um, that means you're probably one of those people, right? You might be the person bringing uh, that, that into the relationship. But the truth of the matter is, and I think we all know this, we don't need a preacher on a po- at a podium to tell us this, people are complicated and people are messy. Uh, you see it at work right, you go to work tomorrow, you'll see it. You'll see it on social media. You'll see it in your family. You'll see it in your friendships. Maybe you've even seen it at play this week, this idea that people are kind of messy and they're complicated. An action that somebody in your life took that you still can't believe they did what they did. A comment that just cut you to the bone. A decision that leaves you scratching your head. People are complicated. And I think there can be a lot of reasons for it. One is cultural. There's a cultural reason for it, that we are coming out of this pandemic that we talk a lot about. But during that pandemic, uh, we kind of ended up with this very divisive attitude, attitude toward one another, uh, angry. We, are, we became more political uh, than we have been in a very long time. So part of it is relationships have become complicated and messy because of pandemic response. And because of some attitudes That kind of swept into our nation during that time that our relationships with one another are hard. For some of it, that relationships are kind of complicated. There's a generational reason for it. You have two very large generations with my very small generation sandwiched in between, and we're like the whatever generation, right? But the truth of the matter is, you've got these two huge generations that view the world in very different ways boomers and millennials. And those differences between the two generations have caused a lot of tension politically and relationally. You may have even seen it in your, fa- in your family. It's like, I can't believe my grandkids or I can't believe my kids have this point of view. I think there are personal reasons why relationships are complicated, that sometimes you just don't connect with someone or you just don't see the world the same way that they do and personalities don't match, mesh, or work. And it creates tension and it can be messy. But mostly, people are messy, I believe, uh, for spiritual reasons. It goes all the way back to the garden that we've talked about a hundred times before. But way back in the garden, God creates the the first man, and he very quickly realizes, man, it is not good for man to be alone. And we all know that's true, right? Uh, It is not good for this dude to be operating on his own. And so he puts the man to sleep, pulls a rib, he forms the woman. And when the man first sees the woman, if you remember the story, he erupts into this song of praise to God that this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. And then just a chapter later, all right, that's chapter 2 where he's singing this song of praise. In chapter 3, sin enters the world. They make a decision to eat the forbidden fruit that they shouldn't have eat, eaten from, that God commanded them not to eat from. And a lot of things change. But one of the things that change is the man and the woman's relationship. When God confronts Adam with the sin, here's what Adam says. The woman... You put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Oh, Adam, we've come a long way, dude. Right? This is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh to now the kind of resounding song is her fault. The lyrics of the song change. And a relationship that was once really beautiful became really messy. And we know that ever since then, we all have this sin nature And the sin nature does a lot of things, but it makes relationships messy. And if we're being honest, much of the mess of our relationships is tied to our sin nature. It's a temper that is out of control. A lie that we double down on and has gotten us in trouble. A pride that wouldn't let us see reality. People are messy. Relationships are messy. I am messy. You are messy. And because of that, the church is messy. It is. It goes all the way back to the beginning of the church. One of the very first kind of early church fights, and there were several that then kind of followed this, but one of the first early church fights had to do with circumcision. And it had to do with specifically how a person is saved. And what happened was in the Old Testament, the sign of God's relationship with the Jewish people was circumcision. And why, you might ask? I don't know. I don't know. What is circumcision your kids might be asking? Ask your parents on the ride home, right? But this this was a sign between God and his people in in the Old Testament. And as people, as the early church kind of folded out, went forward, as people who weren't Jewish became Christians, this question started to take hold in the early church. Does a person need to become Jewish before they can become a Christian? And it is a big, this is not like a disputable matter sort of thing. This is a big question. There are massive implications, including surgery, for how this question is answered. And people brought their backgrounds and their baggage and their thoughts to the debate. And it was messy and it was contentious. And a lot of people were angry. And so they did the only thing they really knew how to do. They're like, we need a church meeting. They were so young at this point. Church meeting will solve it all, right? And here's what happens next. The apostles and elders met to consider this question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago, God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No, listen to this. We believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that they are saved, that we are saved, just as they are. The whole assembly became quiet, silent, as they listened to Barnabas and Paul, telling them about the signs and wonders done among the Gentiles through them, when they finished, James spoke up. Brothers, he said, listen to me. Simon has described to us how God has intervened to choose a people for his name from the Gentiles. The words of the prophets are in agreement with this as it is is written, after this I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will rebuild and I will restore it and that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord. Even all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord, who does these things, things known from long ago. And here's, I kind of got all that, read all that to get to, this is one of my favorite parts of the book of Acts. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the, meat strangled, uh, from the meat of strangled animals and from blood. For the law of Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times and is read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. Now, here's what I find interesting. For those that disagree and need to be convinced in this church meeting, they are repeatedly called brothers in the text. There is this relationship that seems to exist in this room of differing perspectives, different generations, different cultures, different everything. There seems to be this relational, relational relational, component. And secondly, the apostles seem to believe it is in the context of community that cha- minds will be changed, that people will be moved, that perspectives will be altered. And this is so different from how our culture handles conflict that our culture handles conflict with it. You disagree with me, you are not a friend, and you do not belong. And once a relationship is severed, you know this is true, once a relationship is severed, influence is severed. And it's almost impossible to initiate and bring about change. And so in the context like that, we have a lot of disagreement about this circumcision thing, but it's in the context of the church family that we're going to sort it out, we're going to lean in, we're going to love hard, we're going to sort it out. And so in the church, we see this example of a messy gathering of people with sin and baggage and background and those that think differently. But instead of banishment, we see this leaning in, this loving and doing the hard work of working out our differences. There's another kind of church fight in the uh, city of Philippi. Let me show you this. Uh, Paul writes this. I plead with you, Yodia, and I plead with you, Syntyche, to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are written in the book of life. There's a part of me that is so fascinated by this, because we really don't know what the issue was between these two women. But it's become big enough and large enough that Paul knows that by simply mentioning their names, everyone in the church will know what's going on and what the purpose of this letter is. So I'm just imagining, you know, that these letters from Paul were sent to the churches, and a lot of times these letters would have been read out loud in the church gathering. So somebody would get up just like me and say, hey, church, we've received a letter from Paul. Let's go through it together. Chapter one, Paul is thankful for us. Chapter two, There is a joy in the gospel. Chapter 3, there is service found in Jesus and we should be like him. Chapter 4, Yodia and Syntyche. Really? (laughs) Really? Come on, knock it off. And the whole church just goes silent. He pleads with them to be in the same mind in the Lord. He's not siding with one versus the other. He's encouraging them, lean in. Lean in, love greatly, and work out your differences. This is messy. And if we're being honest, it is easier to draw lines and say, you don't believe the way that I do? You're out. You're out. And I want nothing to do with you. But that's not the gospel. That's our culture. The gospel encourages us, because of the work of Jesus, to lean in, to love greatly, And work out our differences because to end relationship is to end influence, and we don't want to lose our influence over anyone. One last example has to do with food sacrifice to idol, that way back in the circumcision debate, uh, they actually had addressed, but they had these marketplaces where there'd be food sacrifice to idols, to a false god, and that leftover food that had been sacrificed would be given to the market and sold for a profit. And so this debate kind of emerged within the early church and they said, should a Christian buy that kind of meat? Should a Christian buy meat that had been sacrificed to an idol? And there was a lot of debate over it, a lot of perspective, a lot of history, a lot of baggage, a lot of anger, a lot of hurt feelings, and a lot of thoughts on it, and I love Paul's response. He says, so now, about food sacrifice to idols. We know that an idol is nothing at all in the world, and there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom all things came and for whom all live. And there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. But not everyone possesses this knowledge. Some people are so accustomed to idols that when they eat sacrificial food, they think of it as having been sacrificed to a God. And since their conscience is weak, it is defiled. But food does not bring us near to God. We are no worse if we do eat it, and no better if we do. Be careful, however that the exercise of your rights does not become a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone with a weak conscience sees you with all your knowledge eating in the idol's temple, won't that person be emboldened to eat what is sacrificed to idols? So, So this weak, look at it, brother or sister for whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge. When you sin against them in this way and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother or sister to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause them to fall. 1 Corinthians 8. So the weaker party in this scenario, in verse 11, this weaker party is called a brother or sister. And again, this is a significant theological question of conscience. And Paul says, you are, they are a member of your church. And you could build walls, you could draw lines, or you could lean in and have a conversation and share what you think is the truth and allow them to share what they think is the truth and you could begin to work out your differences. We have so many differences right now in our nation and even in the Big C Church. We have people that celebrated the last election and people that mourned it. We have people that celebrate various pieces of legislation that came out the last two years, and people that lament. People that have strong opinions about LGBTQ, and people that have strong views but don't say them out loud. People that have questions about God. People that are completely confident. People that have doctrinal differences that are tied to how they were raised, and how they came to Christ, and what that looks like. And historically, the answer to the modern church to this dilemma has been to craft believing statements ask people to agree with them at times without reservation and allow them membership into the local church. This has been a denominational strategy for, the, for years. And for those of you that grew up in a denomination, you know that at some point there comes a time where this is what it means to be Lutheran or this is what it means to be Methodist or this is what it means to be Catholic. And it's a well-crafted believing statement that is demanded to be agreed with before you can gain membership into that body You can belong once you fully believe. And the question we've been having for the last couple years is this. Is that best? Our leadership team has been discussing it heavy for well over a year that is that the best way for churches to operate? Because when we read the first church, they had this way of embracing the messiness of family. That we may not fully agree on everything, but we want to work things out within the context of relationship and family. In addition to that, we believe the best way for people to move forward in their faith, in a belief system, is in the context of relationship. To give up relationship is to give up influence. Now, the warning lights that go off, and they should be going off if they're not right now, is that as a church, we don't want to sacrifice our beliefs at all. Churches have beliefs. And next Sunday, we'll talk more about our core beliefs and our core doctrines. And there are some big ones on that list. Beliefs about Jesus and about the word of God and about human beings. And we never want to lose sight as a church of our most important beliefs. But we also don't want to communicate to, to, we also don't want to, communicate to people that, like, it doesn't matter what you believe. You do you. Beliefs matter. We'll talk about that more next Sunday. But we also want to be a church of belonging that embraces people and loves people and doesn't build walls but leans in, right? That's the church we've been trying to build. Ever since we developed that mission statement, we are a growing family journeying together to be more like Jesus, that we're not building walls, we're leaning in. We're not shying away from tough conversations, we're leaning in. We're not shying away from the messiness of church, we're embracing it. So we are proposing a bylaw change today, And before that will, again, like I said, take place, uh, the vote will take place in November. So lots of time to think, lots of time to pray. And before I get into the specifics of it, let me just say this. This uh, is not a move uh, that is going to clean up anything. It doesn't do that. That's not the goal of it. This is a move that embraces the mess of family, that we are a non-denominal, non denominational, not easy for you to say, non denominational church uh, that is full of people that at some point just said, we're gonna kind of drop our denominational ties and we're gonna be Christians only. And so we have people that grew up Catholic and Lutheran and Methodists and Baptists and all of that. So we have all this kind of background baggage in our church of things that we grew up with and things that we believe. Um, And so this doesn't clean up anything. That's not even the goal of it. As a matter of fact, the goal of it is just to say, people are messy. Church is messy. Let's embrace that together. Here's the original bylaw that we're changing. Membership in this congregation shall consist of persons who have obeyed the scriptural teachings on becoming a Christian. That is to say, they have heard the scriptural testimony about Christ, believe such testimony to be true, believed without reservation that Jesus Christ is the only begotten Son of the living God, repented toward Christ, confessed his name before witnesses, and been buried with him in baptism, i.e. immersion, resolved to abide by the teachings of Christ as presented in the New Testament, and have requested membership before this congregation. Membership in this congregation is further limited to those who have taken the word of God for their only rule of faith and practice and discipline. Now, There's nothing specifically wrong in that bylaw. As a matter of fact, there's some really good things in this bylaw. It lifts up Jesus very well. I love that. It's a Jesus-centered bylaw. However, it does unintentionally communicate that until you believe fully, without reservation, that you don't really belong to the body of Northwest Christian Church. And the reason it reads that way is that's how most churches have operated in the very recent past, very recent past, of church history. The last few hundred years or so. Craft a believing statement, and once people agree, they can belong. The other shortcoming of this bylaw is, I don't know if you kind of caught this as I was reading it, but it's actually a little bit vague when it comes to our core beliefs. There's nothing written in the statement, for instance, about what we would expect someone to believe about the Holy Spirit, or about Father God, or about sin, or about any other number of of issues. It's a little bit vague on what we would actually expect someone to believe. And so the bylaw change that we're presenting would break the membership of our congregation kind of into two categories. There would be belonging members... I think it's on the screen for you, right? Yeah, it is, all right. Belonging members, those who have committed themselves to attendance and participation in the body but are not in full agreement with a believing statement of NWCC. More on that in a minute. Belonging members may sit on any team and may serve in any capacity with the exception of lead teaching or leadership roles as determined by the elders. And then there's believing members, Those who have committed themselves to attendance and participation in the body and are in full agreement with the Believing Statement of NWCC, they may serve on any team in any capacity, including lead teaching and leadership, as determined by the elders. Now, you say, what exactly does this do for us? It does a couple things for us, if you'll allow me, and then we're going to close and do communion together, and I'll pick up on the Believing Statement next Sunday. We don't have time to do all that today. It starts first with a core commitment from anybody that would consider themselves a member of Northwest. And that core commitment is attendance and participation, attendance and participation, uh, uh, that there is nothing like that in our current bylaw that really asks of of anything of anyone uh, as, as an initial core commitment to our church family here at Northwest. So I'll give you an example. Several years ago, we got a call from a hospital, one of the local hospitals. And they said, one of your members is in the hospital and uh, would would like a visit from, from the pastor. I said, yeah, I didn't know the person's name, but I said, I'm on my way there. And so I walk in and the woman looks at me and says, who are you? And I said, well, I'm the pastor at Northwest Christian Church. And I kid you not, she said to me, you're not less white. Now, for those of you that don't know, Les White was the pastor here in the 1980s, right? And so this was, a, this was a person that had just always kind of thought of themselves as a member of Northwest, but there'd been no attendance or participation really in the body at all for my lifetime, right? I'm 46, right? Um, and, and so that, that's kind of a shortcoming of the bylaw, is it doesn't even really have even a basic... You're attending and you're involved at at Northwest. Um, And just to be clear, we're not looking to change anyone's membership. We're we're not going to do that. I've seen churches get tore apart by that. We're we're not doing that. We're just looking at kind of moving forward. Another kind of example that I would give you on on this theme was that we had uh, for years and years somebody that would call in every fall, every other year or so, and say, I just want to make sure that my Membership at the church is still valid. Um, We don't change memberships, but they had not attended at that point in about twelve years. Um, Not for there are reasons people can't attend anymore—health reasons, lots of lots of stuff. But this was a person who just had kind of gotten upset about something and stopped attending. But making sure their membership was intact was important. And so we want to communicate some just kind of bare level attendance and participation, it it does that. It does a better job, I think, of clearly articulating our views and our beliefs. Churches have to have core beliefs. They have to. Next week, I'll show you ours. So there would be, for the first time, since I've been here anyway, I don't know if this goes back in the history of the church, there would be a believing statement addendum in our bylaws, That this is what we believe on any variety of subjects. I'll show it to you next week. That there would be a believing statement addendum for what our church believes. We've never had this before. So there'd be a believing statement that gets to the core values of our church. It was important to us being a restoration movement church that that statement be on the neighborhood of one page. So you're looking at kind of the core essentials, the core uh, core beliefs of, of a church. And what it does is then it better protects our teaching and our leadership positions, which biblically we feel we are commanded to do. That when the Bible talks about really what you're to protect, it's lead teaching and it's leadership. And so for the first time, I think maybe ever, I I don't want to say that too boldly, but I believe for the first time ever, we would have a believing statement as an addendum in our bylaws that this is what Northwest Christian Church believes. But at the same time that it does that, which I like, it says to people in these two categories, we want you here. Even if you don't fully agree, we want you here. And we're not going to build walls with you, right? That's an old model that just doesn't work anymore. We're not going to build walls with you. We're going to lean in, and we're going to be a part of the same church family. And even when we disagree, and even when it's messy, we're going to lean in, we're going to love well, and we're going to embrace the mess. And I love that because we worked for so long on it. I think it allows us those two paths forward to say we want to protect leadership and lead teaching, but we also want to be able to communicate to people, come on in, you belong, we want to journey with you, we want to help you, we want you to help us and challenge us, and we want to be a messy family. It allows for relationships to thrive at NWCC, and that is a line, in alignment with our mission statement. We are a growing family, journeying together to be more like Jesus. Jesus. Thanksgiving is right around the corner. Families are messy. Families are messy. A lot of family events coming up in the next quarter. Families are messy. And and we don't want to do kind of a denominational approach of like the way we respond to the mess is a well-crafted believing statement, and you can only belong once you agree with everything on this document. We want to embrace the mess. It helps us better articulate belonging, which I believe is a core value of our church. I believe it's a core value of our church. Our legal documents don't align with it, but as you, anybody that's been here for any length of time, I felt so welcomed, I felt so loved, I I feel like I belong, and that's, we want to lean into that feeling. You do belong here. Our legal documents say so. You do belong here. I know we don't agree, I know we see the world in a different way. I know generationally we we become separated from one another in our beliefs, our political stances, our spiritual stances, our denominational background that a lot of us carry with us to this day. I know we see the world differently, but you belong, and I belong, and let's journey together, and let's embrace the mess. New mission statement for NWCC. How's that? Embrace the mess, right? And I think that in particular, in generational differences, I think this sense of belonging is important as we try to reach younger generations. That to them, belonging is a really important thing. And they're like, we'll work on the beliefs, we'll work together, we'll journey together on the beliefs, but I need to find a place where I belong. And the early church did this so well. And the modern church does it so bad. <laughs> but it's important. It's important. Belonging is important in a local church for to, to make people feel like they belong and are embraced, even when we disagree, because the disagreements aren't going away over the next five years. If anything, they're going to become more exaggerated. And for us to be able to say, hey, I'm an Xer, you're a boomer, I'm a millennial, you're, you're uh, an Xer, we see the world, we see politics, we see spirituality in different ways, but look at us, we're journeying together. And in the process of journeying together, we become more like Jesus. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his grace. And Lord, you know that the heart of this, there might be a bazillion questions right now of what about this, what about... It doesn't clean up anything. Because we're not trying to clean something up. We're trying to be the church you created us to be a place of belonging that does protect lead teaching and leadership because that's what you've called us to do but a church where everybody can belong and journey and we work out our differences in the context of community and it's not always fun or lovely or neat but it's people and it's what you've called us to and it is so much easier to build a wall it is I admit that it is. It's so much easier to just, this is what we believe and get in or get out. It's easier to do that. It's not the gospel. It's not the early church. It's not what you've called us to. So would you help us to embrace the mess, to lean in, to love well, and to work out our differences? and that may we be a stronger, healthier, more belonging church moving into the future because of it. I thank you for the people in this room. I thank you for our leadership team. I love our church. And I love that our culture is embracing the mess. And so for a lot of people, isn't this just how we are? Yeah, in a way it is. But sometimes it's good to just kind of say it out loud. Give us wisdom as conversations unfold and we begin to talk about the ramifications of of some of this. May we be a people of grace. May we be a people of belonging. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. We're going to receive communion right now and communion represents the mess because communion tells us that we are unified as a church body but that we are sinners. It does all of those things. And so right now, We're going to receive communion, two cups stacked on top of each other. One has some bread representing Jesus's body. The other has some juice representing his blood. And we're just going to receive communion right now and remember that our sins have been forgiven. And Jesus has a plan and a purpose for us. And then I'll come back up. What we like to do here is we like to receive communion as a church family to just remind us of, oh, you're a sinner? Me too, right? And we receive it together. You're on a journey? Me too. Me too. And we journey together. So I'll come back up in just a minute and we'll receive it together as a church family. His body given for us. His blood poured out. Jesus, we want to thank you for your sacrifice and your grace and for this beautiful, wonderful, messy thing called the church. Um, I love the local church so much. I can hardly describe how much I love it and the impact that it's had on my life. I know it pales in comparison, though, for how you love the local church. I thank you that in this kind of time where in our culture, church attendance is in a state of decline nationally, um, that we know you're with us Loving us and helping us, um, I know what I want is for our church to thrive. Would you help us to do that? It's in the name of Jesus. We pray, Amen. As we get ready to close, um, there's uh, if you have a prayer request or a prayer need or questions um, about Jesus and or anything of that nature, a couple of our elders are going to be in the overflow. Um, They would love to kind of talk with you and and pray with you. If you have questions about today, you you are welcome to go over there and ask. Um, But we do have those town halls also for that purpose. Um, So 6.30 on Wednesday, I'll be here. A couple of our elders will be here. Um, And I understand that some of you may want to hear the kind of believing kind of part of the the two-parter. We'll do that next Sunday and then have a town hall right after church um, that will kind of clarify we, we just want to take a few minutes and clarify. This is kind of what we believe as a local church. Every church has beliefs. These are the ones that we believe. And these are the things that we, we have articulated for someone to be a lead teacher or someone to be an elder that as you're going through the elder process, these are the, thing, these are the beliefs that we would expect someone to have in those positions here at Northwest. And then on the other lane, you guys are so great about this. We want to be a belonging church that people walk in the doors here and they're welcomed and they're loved on and they're encouraged. And we already have so much of that culture and I thank you for everybody comments on it about how welcoming we are. And the next step after being welcoming is belonging. You know, that's where a person really feels connected. And so, uh, great congregation. I love you guys so much. Go ahead and stand. We're going to close with one last song and uh, uh, we'll, see you, uh, we'll see you either on Wednesday for the town hall, 630 30 or next Sunday. God bless.